Scoop, Duck, and Hi-Fi. My name's Matt Bagley, joined as always by Justin Hopkins, ScoopDuck.com, and on three, we got Jared Denny, Scoop Duck beat writer, about to join us in about uh, 20 minutes in to this conversation. Uh, we're going to focus on basketball when we get Jared on, because that's who he's covering right now as the Scoop Duck beat writer. But I wanted to talk to the head honcho here, and the guy that I know, I've called him the recruiting guru in the past. Um, we, we could start with recruiting, right? Ducks always trying to improve the program, as Dan Lanning calls it, and uh, getting a kid we know pretty well, uh, a young man by the name of Chase Coda, who grew up in Southern Oregon and then went to UCLA, transferred to Oregon recently uh, over the weekend. We could start there, or I could ask you about that ESPN piece on Dan Lanning and, and how he got the Oregon job. Did you read that? Um, well... Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. Actually, did I click on the article? Yes. Okay. Did I read it word for word? No. <laughs> okay. I definitely. It was really. I don't know if you did, but it was really long. And uh, maybe, uh, maybe I'm developing uh, ADHD or something. But I could. I, I, I can't read an article that long, uh, especially when you know I kind of skim some of the notes from the Scoop Duck posters, um, and I knew certain elements of that uh article or wrong but yes i know exactly what you're talking about we can talk about it i did click on it i'm aware of it i read some of it <laughs> so so when you hear you know joey wrote the letter joey harrington and uh and i think we all knew that uh, Kelly smith george reitster they were involved in the letter i think we all knew that but it, was it the wilcox part that was wrong yeah i mean i, I i've said all along and i i really haven't uh, you know, deviated from this, that Justin Wilcox was not like target number one. It, it, it seems as though for whatever reason, a number of people want to posture that Justin Wilcox was the guy and Oregon settled on Dan Lanning. And that's not what happened. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I kind of posted this on, on the, on the board on scoop duck that, you know, in reality, Chip Kelly and, Justin Wilcox were the safety valves. Okay. You're not going to change my mind that at any point in time, Oregon could not have easily gotten those two, you know, to come coach at Oregon. Chip Kelly would have gladly left UCLA that really had to mull over, you know, firing him or not this past off season. Obviously he had to part ways with his longtime buddy and, and defensive coordinator, Jerry Azenaro. And that was just so he could stay. And even then UCLA wasn't sure they were going to keep him. Ultimately they did, you know, Justin Wilcox, you, you won't change. You won't change my mind that Justin Wilcox wants out of Cal in a, in a big way. I, I think that the academic requirements are tough. Uh, I love it as a school. It's a terrific school. And you take that job knowing that, but secondly, during this COVID pandemic, that particular area of the country has been, you know, very hypersensitive to that matter, if you will. And, you know, obviously they had that game that was canceled or postponed or whatever you want to call it this year. You know, I know that was a major hurdle for them. So you will not change my mind that Wilcox would have gladly taken the Oregon job. Maybe he was presented an idea about taking the job with certain parameters or however the, the article wants to posture that. But um, they were not, like all things being considered, if you lined up 
Chip Kelly, Justin Wilcox, and Dan Lanning, and gave Rob Mullins his first choice, it wasn't going to be the two former Ducks that were that they that he was picking first. Right. So. Right. Uh, and and Mullins explained in that piece um, that they have him quoted as saying something to the effect of, you know, we wanted someone that was a proven leader, someone that was a proven winner, someone that um, could recruit and someone that could do all of those things in an elite program. And, and Dan Lanning, I think, clearly checks off all of those boxes. Justin Wilcox and Chip Kelly, unfortunately, don't. Um but I, I'm curious when I hear or, or when I read in that piece details about the offer that Wilcox got, supposedly, um, that that the Ducks said, hey, we'd like you to be the coach, but we have stipulations. To me, that makes it seem more real. What do, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, again, uh, on. An offer is never made until it's accepted, right? We know that in the coaching world. So, um, you know, I do believe that that Joey Harrington and and Reister, uh, you know, and Achilles Smith and some of those guys, I don't fault them for wanting someone with ties to Oregon. I don't fault them for backing their guy, Jay Will, uh, and thinking that he's a viable candidate and pushing for him. I don't have any issue with any of that at all. It makes a ton of sense. I know there is a portion of the fan base, a portion of the alumni that do appreciate and would like some form of attachment to those, you know, those, those days, those glory days, if you will, of Oregon football. And I think that those, that passion has been um, amplified because of the last two coaches, if you will, basically leaving for, you know, I'm using finger quotes here. They're dream jobs. You know, so you had Willie Taggart showed up for a year. Right. He took off uh, when Florida State offered. You had Mario Cristobal show up, take off for, for Miami, uh, which is honestly, I know it still stings Oregon fans the way it went down, but it's understandable. That's his alma mater. That was basically his only dream job. So I understand that. I, I understand also if you're Rob Mullins. I mean, let's be real. If you look at Justin Wilcox, like you just said a moment ago as well, if you're looking at Jay Will, you have concerns about his recruiting prowess and the same with Chip Kelly. So if you're, if you're seeing your program basically evolve, Oregon has evolved under Willie Taggart and under Mario Cristobal. You might not like the way they left. You might not like the way they managed a game or some of these other elements, but the program's evolved. Recruiting's better. The strength and conditioning program's better. So many elements of the program are in a better state. So I, I think if you're Rob Bolins and, and, and Phil Knight, and you go back to maybe some of these guys from the glory days, you want to see that they're going to continue that involvement. You're going you want to see that recruiting is going to continue to, to expand. The support, you know, personnel is going to expand. The, the staff is going to expand. Uh, and I would think that if you're uh, making an offer or at least talking to them about an offer, that that's something you're going to put in there. So I could see that part very well being in there and being a part of it. Um, if Justin Wilcox wants to say that's the reason he didn't take the job, I don't think that's fair. I don't, he was never really formally offered the job, but, um, it makes for a better story on the back end of why he's not Oregon's next head coach. Uh, and Dan Lanning is, in my opinion, like I said before, this search was being ran in duplicate. You had Rob Mullins and Phil Knight, both kind of interviewing candidates and, and flying all over the country and meeting some of these guys, 
obviously reconvening and 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 sharing notes. Uh, and once uh, Phil Knight interviewed Dan Lanning, uh, outside of outside of Urban Meyer not staying with Jacksonville, which ultimately happened after Lanning was hired, you know, it was Dan Lanning, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, okay, all right, Dan Lanning's the coach of the Ducks that we knew, but we're learning more about that process and, you know, some things, maybe not learning so much, some things uh, disagreeing <laughs> with there. Uh, but uh, Disputing, I, yeah, yeah, disputing is probably the right word, yeah. But I think it's an interesting piece nonetheless and a fun read. Kyle Bonagura of ESPN continuing to uh, cover the Pac-12 with uh, with a, with a flair. Yeah. Um, now for the other big topic, uh, heading out of the weekend and, and moving another week forward of the Dan Lanning era, Chase Cota's a duck, and, and that's a name that I got to cover when, uh, when he was a high school player locally in Southern Oregon, and I remember you got to cover, and if I'm not mistaken, out of all the, the, the people that had uh, a connection to Chase when he was... Uh, being recruited by those schools in 2016, I think you had the closest rapport of anybody. Weren't you saying he was going to go play with Chip Kelly way before everybody? Yeah, yeah, you know, that was definitely um, a byproduct there of the Willie Taggart era. That's, uh, you know, his recruitment was during that year that Willie Taggart came in. And, you know, I just think, uh, you know, I'm not going to pick on on Coach Taggart by any means, but I, I do believe that as far as that family was concerned, you know, they, they just weren't fully sure they could trust him. You know, they weren't all the way bought in. I think there was just some things going on there that, that they were not, you know, comfortable with. And, you know, ultimately, UCLA kind of got lucky. You, you had the former, you know, duck coach uh, in Los Angeles and Chip Kelly and had led some of the best and most fun offenses, uh, you know, college football has ever seen. So kind of uh, just, uh, you know, right place, right time, if you will, right? You know, and yeah, so it didn't surprise me when he went to UCLA. And again, I think uh, had Mario Cristobal, maybe maybe had it been that year, they probably would have ended up at Oregon, you know, if it was, you know, Dan Lanning like it is now. Uh, probably so, but I, I think that Willie Taggart one year was just uh, again right, right place at right time for uh, for UCLA and Chip Kelly. Yeah. So so Coda comes home. I know a lot of people locally are really excited about this, and a lot of Duck fans across the state and across the country really aren't sure because you you haven't seen him uh, light it up on national TV every Saturday. Uh, wh- what do you think his role is going to be? What do you think his impact is going to be? Uh, he's get he knows what his role is and I think he's very comfortable you know kind of knowing that role settling in it understanding it it's going to be coming in with that veteran experience um, you know being there to lead those young guys it's a pretty young young group now because you've got you know Jalen Red is gone and Devin Williams is gone uh, Johnny Johnson is gone so I think Chase becomes that very sure-handed very clean, dependable, route-running kind of guy that, that quite honestly, every offense really needs. You need that guy. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know, you've got third and four, and you need a for-sure catch, or you're, you know, uh, second down, and you're inside the, the five on the goal line, and you just want to make sure that, you know, somebody's not going to tip the ball or something. You know, I think he can be that guy. And, and I think that it's a unique opportunity because that guy, being Chase Cota, also grew up in the state. His dad played for Oregon. He's going to play with that chip on his shoulder. He's going to play 
you know, with a little bit more passion because it'll mean something because his family will be in the stands. His his cousin, you know, was the MVP at the Rose Bowl, Brady Breeze. So just a really unique opportunity and a great fit. And I, I think that Chase is the right type of player that really understands and embraces his role because oftentimes we we do see those you know, receivers kind of being divas, uh, you know, somewhat divas and, you know, I want the ball, throw me the ball, that kind of mentality. And I don't, I don't think Chase comes in with that kind of mentality. So I think it's a really good fit uh, for both sides. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I've spoken to him a few times over the years and my, my takeaway is always, he's got a really good head on his shoulders, you know, somebody that, um, and, and I think you see this sometimes with the, the kids that, that the, the the children of famous athletes. I mean, his dad played in the NFL after a stellar career at Oregon. Um, they they are taught repeatedly growing up about the importance of being a team player and the importance of buying in and and you put the work in, you try to win. That's what matters. And and I I always gotten that sense from him. So I'm with you. Like I I don't think he's transferring from UCLA to Oregon for stats. I don't think he's transferring for, you know, building a brand. I think he really just sees a good fit, gets to come home, and I think gets to win football games. Yeah, you know what? Uh, your last uh, statement there, your last sentence is, is dead on. He, you know, he even told me that. I did an update with him this morning, getting his thoughts on it. And he said, hey, you know, Oregon's got a great chance at winning. You know, I want to win some football games. Uh, the cherry on top's really the fact that, you know, I am coming home and it's Oregon and it's close to home. But, right. you know, they've got so many things in place that, that you know, make it look like a school that's going to compete this year. And, and ultimately, that's what I wanted to do. And ironically enough, you know, Oregon fans might empathize with this a little bit just because of what we experienced the last, you know, couple of years with Mario Cristobal. But, you know, one of the things that kind of drove them away from UCLA, if you will, is the fact that they really just don't throw the football that much. Yeah, um, yeah. And it, it's it's really only, uh, you know, kind of digs and, and, and shorter, smaller routes that they're really throwing the football on. And that was one of the reasons, you know, Chip Kelly's offenses, you know, were fun, but the rest of college football kind of caught up and defenses adjusted and, 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 and didn't render it useless, but it definitely doesn't have that same sizzle that it did back in 2011. And, uh, you know, I, I think, again, back then you were able to run the football a lot. They ran it with, you know, a lot of success. Michael James, you know, Kenyon Marner, those guys ran the ball really well. But they were also able to throw the ball because of that success running. And and I just don't know that that the, 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 the current UCLA Chip Kelly offense really really utilizes that. And I, I know uh, Chase is excited to, to be in an offense which should throw the ball a little bit more, which is what Oregon should do uh, with Kenny Dillingham. Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, I think um, there are a lot of, of pros versus cons for why he is now uh, an Oregon Duck, but I think one of those pros has to be Dillingham. This offense is going to throw the football a lot, right? Yeah, he, he was uh, very clear about that. He had a lot of conversations with Coach Dillingham. You know, they talked, uh, they talked very specifically about how he would be used in the offense and, and the plans for the offense and, you know, what they'll do from, uh, you know, in terms of an aerial attack. And so all of those things lined up with what Chase was looking for. It, and Junior Adams, you know, the wide receiver coach, echoed a lot of those same things as well to him. So I do know, again, from talking to Chase, that the, that was another element to this was that Oregon – 
you know, was very confident in the fact that they would be throwing the ball, you know, a lot more than they, than they had been and probably more than UCLA was going to. And, you know, he felt great about that. And, and again, that last sentence that you said, it was the fact that Oregon, you know, is looking to compete, is in a great spot to compete. And, you know, he really wanted that for his final year was to be on a team that would, you know, compete for a Pac-12 championship uh, and beyond. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned Dillingham. I think schematically it could be a good fit. Just knowing uh, the offense that he ran in high school was um, from from a, a local coach. Bill Singler was his name. A coach that that has a lot uh, a lot of small college background, Southern Oregon, uh, Oregon Tech, my alma mater, and a few other places, but also has studied air raid air raid principles and uh, studied West Coast when he was at Stanford working under Bill Walsh back in the the old days. So um, it, it's an offense that passes the football a lot, and pretty much any play is open to be run and. I um, I'm not saying Oregon's going to copy that verbatim, but you have a player that's used to that, used to mostly throwing the football and um, going to uh, an offense that's going to throw a little bit more. I think it's a good fit for him. Yeah, no, great, great fit. Uh, being close to home, and again, you know, in my past experience, these uh, state of Oregon kids, um, you know, tend to play with a little bit more pride on their shoulders. You know, uh, they tend to you know, play that much harder. It shows up in practice. Uh, and we, we all know that if you're, you know, in a game uh, in Austin Stadium and, you know, you've got 10, a dozen, whatever family members in the stands, you know, that's going to be a major motivating factor too. So I think those are all great things for, you know, for Chase Coda and his family and for, you know, and for Oregon basically to get the most out of, you know, him as a player as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, lots of like there. Uh, we'll talk about that. Honestly, we'll talk about that the whole off season because I think it's a great story and I think he could have a huge impact. Uh, but I told you at the very start of the podcast we were going to talk football and then we were going to bring on Jared Denny. And you hear those two sound effects in the background. Jared joined our uh, our little chat here, so we're going to cue him in. We're going to switch gears and talk a little Oregon basketball. I thought that they needed to pick up wins in the desert. They couldn't get that done. Do they still have a shot as an at-large, or do they need to do it all in Vegas in three weeks? We'll take that direction with Jared Denny and talk about the Oregon women as well next, right here. Got Jared Denny here. He's the Scoop Duck beat writer covering Oregon football, men's and women's basketball, and I'm sure in the spring, or I'm sure now, now that we've uh, officially reached that point of the spring, believe it or not, He'll be covering baseball and softball as well. Let's start with hoops and let's start with the men because I said last week on this podcast, heading into that two-game stretch in the desert, these were must-win games. Oregon has struggled. They have seen their resume kind of plummet in the eyes of the country as a whole, and they needed to beat Arizona State and, and be competitive with Arizona. They lose both of those games, and I doubt, their resume is good enough to reach the tournament as an at-large. Do you think it's good enough to reach the tournament as an at-large, Jared? I think at this point, I agree with you that it's not. Um, ask me again next week and see where we're standing. I mean, this this upcoming home stand with the Los Angeles schools, which is so pivotal, right? Right. Um, and they go on the road and beat them in Los Angeles when they're both top five teams. And I think everybody 
thought at this point that this team was capable of an elite eight run a final four run um and probably rightfully so i mean i i don't remember the exact statistic but i think it had been a really really long time since any pac 12 school had gone into los angeles and beat to beat a top five ucla and a top five usc back to back um it just doesn't happen so um they're more than capable of obviously doing it again at Matthew Knight Arena, but which are you going to get the team that showed up in Tempe over the weekend or the one that showed up in Tucson? Because that's been the just the sort of Jekyll and Hyde nature of this team all year. And to be honest, I don't think anybody could really tell you which team is going to show up on any given day. And that's what's been so frustrating. Um, and I think a lot of people want to fall in love with this team and get excited about that Arizona game because it was so much fun. And nobody goes into McHale anymore and plays Arizona like that, especially not Arizona the way that they've been playing. But then you look what happened against Arizona State, and it's they, they just didn't show up. Right. Um, and we're so far along in the season that you would like to not have to be playing this guessing game of like which version of your team are you going to get. But I there's just no, there's absolutely no consistency with this team. They could win the Pac-12 tournament, they could go on a Sweet 16 run, or they could get bounced on the first day of both tourneys, and nobody would be surprised by either result. Yeah, yeah. When you say it that way, it reminds me a lot, and and maybe this is a good thing, because that team was in the same boat, and then they went on a magical run in Vegas and made the tourney, but it reminds me of that Pritchard-Wooten team from a few years ago that would get blown out by some nights, and then uh, made magic happen other nights. I think that the difference here is that this team on paper has such a higher ceiling and theoretically yeah. should be so much better. I mean, Peyton Pritchard, obviously, um, Eugene loves him. He's one hell of a player, but he did not right. have the talent right. around him. That um, this, I mean, this, this team goes 8 to 10 deep with players who should be contributors at the Pac-12 level and have been during certain points of the season. And it's just a matter of getting everybody firing at once, and it hardly ever happens anymore. And you see in Folly Dante played probably the best game of his career against Arizona, and um, two days earlier was kind of a non-factor. And it's not um, not necessarily just to pick on him, but um, that's just sort of the story with this team. Um, there's, there's no real uh, continuity, even across 48 hours. Yeah, I, I think um, I think you make a good point there, Jared. I think that's probably most of Duck, you know, Duck fans' frustrations is because I mean, like you, I think that you know this might be one of Dana Altman's most talented teams, you know, one through we'll say eight or nine that he's ever had. But uh, again, you know, they're just not playing, you know, that way or at that level all the time. And like you said, if whatever is misfiring clicks. You know, this could be a team to watch out for, for sure. Yeah, and obviously in basketball recruiting more so than football recruiting, there's a little more volatility in rankings. And with the with the five stars that Oregon has on its roster, I should say uh, Nate Biddle, um, it's not always an exact science of a guy's just going to show up on campus and be an automatic contributor. But I think there's a lot of Dana Allman teams in the past that would have killed to have Nate Biddle and Isaac Johnson. Now those guys don't even get minutes, and that kind of speaks to the depth on this team. Um and, and you still really can't get any consistency. It's just really, really head-scratching. And I, I feel like I sort of have tunnel vision at this point from covering this team for a couple months and um, maybe staring at them too long and trying to figure out what's made them so inconsistent. So I'm, I'm curious to hear, honestly, what you guys think, yeah. especially after watching this weekend. Yeah, you know, you, you mentioned the uh, the depth chart with the bigs and how, you know, Biddle comes in, five-star big man, tons of hype and then sits on the bench most of the year. I'm curious, w- would you give him more playing time if you had the authority? 
Not necessarily because the bigs aren't always the problem with this team, especially on the offensive end. I mean, I think in Volley Dante and uh, Frank Kimdong are a little maybe limited in some of um, the things that they can do on the offensive end, but those guys are both in- insanely athletic. They play really hard. They play, on most nights, good defense. I know that Dana's been a little nitpicky about um, wanting his bigs to um, block a few more shots and per- per- uh, excuse me, pursue um, more shot-blocking opportunities, but um, I don't really... It, I'm more concerned about the guard play at this point, if I'm honest with you. Yeah, that's the... You know, that's the weird part is because, you know, a Will Richardson or a Harmon or, uh, you know, even uh, even Joe Young can get you 20 points. Uh, you just can't consistently count on it. And that's, I think, been the key. And, you know, even, you know, in Folly Dante, who doesn't isn't counted on as a big offensive guy, he could put up 20 points easily if he's, you know, getting rebounds and putting putting the ball back up. But, uh, you know, again, that was a, like you, you mentioned Peyton Pritchard early on, and that's a great you could count on 20 points from Peyton Pritchard every night and go from there. And uh, you just can't seemingly do that with any particular person on this team right now. And, and that is sometimes a good thing, but also sometimes a bad thing. Yeah. And I've, I've gotten a little tired of the people bagging on Will Richardson for not being like the pound your chest, like screaming guys in the huddle alpha, because you don't, you don't have to be that guy to be a successful kind of top scorer on a good Pac-12 team. And I know Peyton Pritchard was that guy, but not everybody comes in that same mold. But you can't have sort of some of their performances from the guy who's supposed to be your go-to guy um, that they've just had out of him um, in the last few weeks. I know that he was really, really good against Arizona, that kind of last possession and lack of a final shot aside. But um, I I think the problem is there isn't out of that group of kind of young, Harmon, Guerrier, um, Eric Williams Jr., like – nobody's really emerged as that consistent number two. You, you might get one guy showing up from game to game, but who can you really count on if Will if Will is either getting heavily pressured and can't get his shots off or just isn't having a good night? Yeah, yeah. And and I think that's fascinating too because in, in most years you might say Oregon has guards, but Oregon needs bigs. And now it seems like the opposite problem. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and and I, to be honest, I love watching Infoli Dante play basketball. I think he's one of the more just enjoyable players that has come through in the Dana Altman era. He is insanely ath- athletic. He runs the floor like crazy. He's really, really smart um, in terms of kind of where he sets up shop with his post moves and how he goes about kind of trying, trying to find little pockets of space to get open. And he, he crashes the offensive boards extremely well. And if, if he was able to give them 30 minutes tonight instead of 20, 21, 22, then they would probably be a lot better for it. Um, it's just yeah. a matter of kind of, and I think Dana's done a really good job of um, making the most of the minutes that he is able to give. And hopefully he continues to stay healthy and maybe is able to bump that up to 25, 26, 27 minutes as the year goes on. Yeah, probably, uh, you know, I don't want to say he's got the training wheels on him because that's not fair to say, but maybe you're getting towards the point of the season where you do, you know, quote unquote, take the training wheels off and, and just kind of let him run and see what happens. Uh, I suppose at least, at least if you want to continue the season for much longer. <laughs> right. Um, you want to switch gears and talk about the women? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that's a little bit more of a positive story right now, albeit they've, they've, they've racked up some losses. They're probably not at the level we all wished for at the start of the year, right? A lot of us, I think, were hopeful that this could be the best team since the big three. Um, 
they aren't that level, but but where is this, and could they make a tournament run? I think they absolutely can make a tournament run, and I um, about an hour before I hopped on here, I um, filed a story on kind of the latest ESPN um, bracketology projections, and they're they're a five seed right now, which I think is about right. I think they have to have a, a good last week and then make some noise in the Pac-12 tournament to get that top four seed and get um, in the position to host a first round game in the NCAA tournament. But some of it's going to depend on that, but so much is going to depend on. And I, and I hate comparing them to the men's team because that's been happening a lot too. And they're two entirely different squads with two entirely different sets of circumstances. Right. Um, but they do have a little bit of that same, um, which team are you going to get on any given night? And you saw that <laughs> just like with the men's team this weekend, um, they played terribly against Cal. It might be the worst I've ever seen a Kelly Graves coach team play. <laughs> they went 0 of 16 for three and they barely beat a team that they beat by, correct me if I'm wrong, I think 30 points earlier in January. Um, and it was really, really ugly. And Kelly was as mad as I've ever seen him afterwards. And then 48 hours later, they show up on Sunday and they play number two Stanford, who I think might actually be the best team in the country now. They played him down to the wire and um, probably should have beat them. So, I mean, go figure, right? Which which team are you going to get in Vegas? Which team are you going to get um, in your kind of second, third round of the NCAA tournament if they make it that far? Um, the Stanford team that they just played down to the final seconds is incredible. Um, everybody talks about the big three that Oregon had back in the day. Stanford has Cameron Brink, who was the number one recruit in the country a few years back. They right, have Haley Jones, right. who was the number one recruit in the country as well. That um, It's an absolute insane amount of talent. And um, I think you saw you saw how good Stanford is yeah. on Sunday. And Oregon went absolutely toe-to-toe with them. And that was with basically every one of their rotation bigs being in foul trouble and not being able to play more than... 15 20 minutes well you so. mentioned you mentioned cameron brink I, I got to cover her when she was in high school because she was an in-state kid and right. her game translates so well of of she doesn't need to score points she doesn't need to hit threes she can just have a block party defensively of just just take every single shot and swat it out of the sky and then win every rebound because she's so long um I, I think the fact that Oregon was able to hang against a team with her and a team with that ability to, to just own the interior of the paint, um, that speaks pretty well for the Ducks to, to do well in the tournament. Yeah, and they did a good job of getting her in some foul trouble. And she, she's played a little bit um, of a, not a lesser role, but she's on a bit of a pitch count because of some injuries she had earlier in the year. So she she's not playing a ton of minutes these days, but she's still their leading scorer. And like you said, she is so athletic that she might just be the best defender in the Pac-12. Um, and Oregon really went toe-to-toe with her. And the Sabley only played 19 minutes because of foul trouble. Sedona Prince played six minutes because of foul trouble. You had Kylie Watson playing a, a lot of big minutes for them. And Philly Kaye, uh, she played only six minutes, I guess. But they were six huge, huge minutes. And it's like the men's team. It speaks to the depth that they have. And just the amount of like absolute sheer talent that they're able to bring off the bench is kind of absurd. And it makes you wonder, why isn't this team better? Um, yeah. And it, and I know that a lot of the kind of a lot of me and Justin's readers that I interact with on a daily basis have kind of voiced their frustrations at um, Oregon's quote unquote big three, India Rogers, Tina, Pow Pow, Niara Sabli, um, just not carrying the load the way that they um, are kind of expected to. And I mean, on Sunday, Tina Pow Pow scores 23 points on eight of 20 shooting. She hit some absolutely insanely big shots in the fourth quarter. And um, it's kind of all you can ask for out of your star players. So it's, I'm just kind of hoping that that's what we can see out of them going forward is 
especially Tahina in India, um, really taking on that kind of attacking scoring role that they're expected to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder, you mentioned that big three and it doesn't include Sedona Prince. Uh, I know she's been banged up, but is, is there a chance she ever could enter that conversation? It's not even, the Sedona thing is so funny because I think people see her star um, kind of, or I guess should say her star power is um, being a really, really influential presence in social media and um, being a really great ambassador for the game. Um, but she's not this, I mean, she's six foot seven and people expect this dominant push, but that's not really her game. Right. She has, she has a really nice fluid jump shot um, against Stanford. She had a couple big upload jumpers and that's more sort of her game. Um, I guess if you're looking for a comparison, um, it's closer to Dirk Nowinski than it is Tim Duncan, right? Um, <laughs> She, she's not going to get in there and be mauling people and going after boards. It's more Niara's game. Um, and I think, I mean, I don't want to speak for Kelly Graves, but I think they just had a, a little bit of trouble figuring out where exactly she fits into this really loaded offense with a lot of people who need a lot of touches. And then you have Sedona kind of ends up doing the dirty work when it's not really um, what her game is supposed to look like. Um, and I, th- I think that's something that they're going to have to solve. There's games that have, where she's been incredible against um, Arizona and UConn. They probably don't win those games without her and Eugene in January. Um, but I don't think there's a lot of teams in the country that have a player like her that they can just bring off the bench and deploy at any given time. And that's where I think Oregon can be one of those sneaky tournament teams that are just so talented that um, they really could make a deep Elite Eight Final Four run. Yeah, it's got to be a... It's um, what's the word? Like an embarrassment of riches, where you can almost just wear down other teams because you, you know, got so much talent and you're so deep. But then again, that can also hurt you, you know, because like I said, you know, you, you know, you're counting on the big three, and maybe they're just not quite meshing, or you know, it's not quite quite clicking or whatever. But you know, certainly the the women's team has been, um, again, kind of like the men, kind of a, an an enigma this year. But uh, luckily. I don't know. I guess all of that can change when you if you get hot at the right time and, and start making a run. Yeah, and they have and I mean, if we're talking stars, there's a lot of four and five star kids on this roster that aren't in primary roles. And um yeah. again, like how how many teams in the country can say that in men's or women's basketball where you have Kylie Watson, Maddie Shear, um those sort of kids just really um playing supporting roles. Um it, I don't know it, I'm not jealous of Kelly Graves' situation trying to figure out how to put all the pieces together because it is really hard, but um, the whole point is to get those kind of kids on campus and then figure out what to do with them, right? So it, I sort of trust him at this point to figure it out. He's He's been trying to temper expectations, at least talking with us, since December, January, February, sort of saying, like, after every big win, like, this is great, this is fine and dandy, but we're nowhere near where I think um, our ceiling is yet. And he was still saying that as recently as two weeks ago. So I'm really curious just to see how this team rounds into form and if they can kind of just keep everybody healthy enough and shake off these injury scares. Yeah, yeah, that'll definitely be fascinating. Uh, Women's tournament for the Pac-12 coming up in Vegas, I believe, next week. Uh, Men's tournament will follow the week after. And, uh, oh, by the way, baseball and softball are going on right now. So it might be your busiest time of the year, Jared. What's your schedule look like right now? <laughs> it's funny. Me and Justin were texting this morning. I sent him over a Google Doc with about 
25 free scheduled stories on it for the week that's just <laughs> in, in, including no football stuff um it's just and i'm not i told you guys a couple weeks ago i'm not so heavily in softball at this point just because chris is so good at covering it and uh, as you just said there's so many other important things going on but i mean baseball is going to be interesting um they and i don't mean that in a condescending way they just went one and three in their season opener at san diego but san diego is a good club right and uh the spatial team has a lot of interesting, like younger talent. It's not the Kenyan Yovan, Aaron Zavala squad, obviously, of last year. Those guys have moved on and are really talented pro prospects. Um, but there's some guys in the baseball team to be excited about. It, I mentioned him a few weeks ago, but Jacob Walsh, a freshman, freshman first baseman from Vegas, hit a massive home run last night. His first home run as a duck. And there's just so many exciting guys. I think it's going to maybe take a minute for this baseball team to really reveal how good they're going to be um i'm, I'm sort of excited to see it um spring ba- spring baseball is always a little bit of a funny thing kind of waiting for pac 12 season to come around but it's gonna be fun is that a, a, a weather reference you wait for it to warm up a little bit at pk yeah, absolutely and um <laughs> you, you, you guys know they adjusted the outfield fence so hopefully see a little more a little more offense this year oh they did yeah they, they moved in that left field um kind of a long porch um and I'm sure pitchers are none too happy. We're talking to Colby Somers, <laughs> the, the closer, the other day, and he kind of said it doesn't matter to him. But that was a real, real pitcher's part for a long time, and it's not going to be that way anymore. Yeah. Oh, man. Do, do you like watching games at PK Park, Jared? Um, I enjoy it. I, I think there's there's just something that's sort of missing. Maybe it's because it's not near campus, and it doesn't have that like kind of like festive um goss stadium environment but i think it's a really fun place to watch a ball game um i think it's gonna take a another like winning season or two for this fan base to really buy in it seems like yeah what yeah. do you guys think um I've, I've wondered about this for a long time like oregon has been competitive in baseball in the past they were i mean 12 13 14 one of the best teams in the country and had an incredible year last year and it seems like this fan base is really sort of still hesitant to kind of go all in the way that oregon state has well, I think you hit the nail on the head with the Oregon State comparison. Um, with, with Goss being on campus, I mean, I, I remember um, I, I was a student at OIT, and I was in my, my college radio station went to a conference at OSU with like all the other college radio stations of all the other uh, OUS public schools in Oregon, and I remember the dorm that we stayed at at Oregon State was right above Goss Stadium. And there there were rooms in that dorm where you could see the games from outside your window. So it was that close to campus. It, it felt like it was a part of campus. Um, I, I think that's part of it with what's missing at PK. And then the other thing you mentioned is, you know, we, we need this team to win more games because yeah. in Oregon State, you know, they, they win – Back-to-back national championships in the aughts. They win a third national title in, in 2019. And that crowd is a sellout crowd and a rabid crowd that swings games every time they play there. When when you win games, you're going to have more passionate fans. I, I think that's obvious. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I remember covering the Oregon State at Oregon Series last year at PK, and the Ducks pretty well kicked Oregon State's butt and played them off the field in all three games and I remember covering Oregon State's press conferences the next week and they were as dejected as I'd seen them all season and <laughs> uh, it, I I thought at that point I was like 
okay, like Waz has something going with this Oregon team. Like they're they're going to be an absolute handful for years to come, and they just have had so much roster overturn. Which is, I mean, that's what what happens when you have good teams. Like they had Aaron's Vol as a second round draft pick, and a couple other guys um, going the top ten rounds. Um, and now you have a new pitching rotation and a new kind of two, three, four, five hitters. Like it's it's a hard thing to do, but he's definitely got the dudes. It's just a younger team. Yeah, it takes you know it takes some time, you know, to get to know them too, and you know for fans to kind of cultivate that not relationship because you you're not you know person to person, but just having followed them and you know watching their career and stuff like that. So, you know, baseball and 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 softball for that matter, a little bit different than, than football when these guys get so much, you know, promotion and, 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 you know, coverage and stuff like that, you, you can, you know, tend to get attached to them a little bit quicker and, and baseball, uh, you know, really just doesn't have that. Yeah. I've, I've been curious to see how the, if not this year in coming years, how the kind of NIL stuff shakes out for baseball guys. Um, it, I think it's a, a hard sport to maybe monetize. I, I couldn't tell you right now who the most kind of recognizable star baseball player is in the country. And I think that kind of speaks to maybe the issue with the sport. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love college baseball. It's incredible. I um, love covering it, but I think that um, like Justin said, it's, it's a harder thing for people to get attached to stars. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, and this is a blessing and a curse. I think baseball has the best system from the player's standpoint of if you're really good at 18, you don't have to go to college, right? You can declare yeah. for the draft. You can make a bunch of money. Um, but because of that, the uh, the talent pool at the college level is a lot less than, say, football or men's basketball. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so uh, a busy couple of weeks for you, and you mentioned you're going to cover a little bit of baseball, a lot of men's and women's hoops. Um what 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 to me what to you is the most compelling story out of all those teams right now i think it's this men's team just trying to figure out how to get back on track um it, i've probably i've covered the women's team probably a bit more at this point just because we have a couple other good writers who um have taken on some of the men's um coverage duties um so i could i could probably tell you more on the daily ins and outs of the women's team but the the men's team is just so so fascinating like if it if it clicks then I think this is legitimately, I mean, me and Justin were saying the other day, an Elite Eight Final Four team, but is it going to click in time? Um, right. I think that following them at the uh, Pac-12 tournament in Las Vegas is going to be sort of the, the last chance for them, for like this fan base to <laughs> figure out whether they're going to buy in or not. Um, and I really, I mean, I, I want to see, in Vegas, I want to see some good performances out of Will Richardson, I want to see Davion Harmon um, kind of maybe step into that number two role. And if those two things happen and those guys get hot at the right time and you have the other guys chipping in, J- Jacob Young maybe is that third scorer, like chipping in where they should be, then I don't see any reason why this team can't make a really, really deep run. But I mean, we're going to have to wait to find out, right? Yeah. All right, man. Well, I, I feel like, at least for me, like I, I came in with some questions in mind, and we burned through all of them. You got anything left for him, Justin? No, no. You know, I know that uh, it's important for us to cover those other sports uh, and get them, you know, some airtime, but also uh, equally important not to dwell on them too long. And I think I think Jared did a great job, uh, you know, covering everything there 
uh, you know, for everybody that might be more of a, of a casual fan, if you will, observing yeah. some of that. Yeah. Well, you know where I stand. I, I've always said for years, um, I, I think the casuals, the normies, outnumber the diehards. And so it's, it's always good to, uh, to, to kind of bridge that gap and, and help the casuals and the normies become diehards. And I think we, we took a step in that direction today. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, well, Jared, I, I know I speak for Justin when I say this. Uh, we love your work. You do a great job. And I really enjoyed this conversation today. Thank you for your time. Yeah, I yeah, appreciate you guys. Thanks. Okay. Well, we're doing great on time. About 46, 50 minutes. That's right about where I aimed for. Uh, Justin, do you have anything you want to say before we wrap the pod? Uh, no. I think uh, I think we're in a good spot. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, you keep the time, but I think we're pretty close to an hour. So I, I'd say that uh, I'd say we're in a pretty great spot to break away for uh, a uh, late February podcast. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so we're going to wrap this early. You know what that means. There's going to be some huge, massive, uh, meteoric breaking news that uh, we will not cover today, but we'll talk for a ton about next week when whatever that is unfolds. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you like the pod, share it with a friend. And as always, you know what I'm going to say when I wrap this. Go Ducks. <laughs>